Hi everyone, this is Harrison Video, co-founder of Sustain Music and Nature, and welcome to Songscapes. In today's episode, Charles Copland catches up with his good friend Dimitri Gugianis, who is the lead singer and writer for New York-based punk band Leisure Class. After a number of years moving through drug addiction, Dimitri has been working on creating an international organization called Cardea, and has been featured in Rolling Stone and New York Times. By studying the healing techniques of psychoactives through traditional uses, Dimitri seeks to create a community to support others to overcome these addictions and make steps toward self-change and healing. You know, like on your website, and I see your face, and I'm, I see I'm here to support you. What does that mean? What does that mean you're here to support me, Dimitri? <laughs> um. When you do the kind of work that I do, um, well, I'll say this. I, I, when we were designing that website, I, my friend was helping me, and I didn't want to say help. I just used the word. I didn't want to say help because help implies um, – well, I'll go to it. There's a I, – I, I can't attribute the uh, – I'm going very about roundabout way, but that's going to be the way of this entire conversation. Let's do it. Yeah. No, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're not working on a linear path here. No, no, not at all. So um, there's a, 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 a an Aboriginal um, artist uh, from Australia, and I can't think of her name, but the quote that I love is, "If you're here to help me, you're wasting your time." But if your liberation and freedom is tied up with my liberation and freedom, then let's dance together. And I'm paraphrasing that. And so support instead of help, that's the idea is that in, in a psychedelic space or in the healing space, um, I like the idea of, of support more than help because especially with it, with this indigenous artist, I think she was sort of referring to sort of a, a missionary type of help. So support is being there with the person. Support is, 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 is a foundation, a, a sort of an interaction in which we, you can be held as opposed to someone there as the expert in the room. Right. So my idea is in that support is is that I want to create a space where where you can feel held. And in that holding your wisdom, the wisdom that gets someone on a, a phone call with me, that gets somebody in a ceremony with me, that's the wisdom we're going to follow. So instead of me being the person pulling you out, I'm just sort of there holding you and moving with you through the space. Okay. So that's, that's really interesting. And, and one of the things about talking to you, which is so exciting is, you know, you are described as a harm reductionist, an activist, a musician, a poet, a writer, and an anarchist. And we'll probably touch on all of those things, but I sort of see you as a healer and you have all of these experiences and arts that you draw on. So as you think about yourself and you, and you talk about what you do, 
Let's start with, for instance, the ceremony itself. Talk to me about being a healer, about being a musician, about supporting the person or people that you're working with. What, what are you drawing on? Obviously, you're drawing on the individual experience of the person themselves, but sort of what's your mindset and where are you trying to go through your art and your healing when you're doing these things? So what interests me more than compounds, more than psychedelics, more than drugs, is the space that we create. So the man said space is the place. And I believe that's where everything happens. The space that you're creating, you're creating a space right now with this podcast, right? And something's happening between us that is inevitable, right? There's this space between us that is that that all kinds of possibilities are 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 present um and it's sort of a pregnant luminous moment right we're in between a couple of, of worlds here we're going to see what happens in the course of this 40 minutes or an hour and in the same way as you know as someone who you know, performs or, you know, my background is as a performer and also I, I um, ran like after hour house and, and electronic music um, venues for a while. Um, and I was performed in bands and what we're really doing there is we're creating space. We're creating, and then we're creating these sort of arcs. So what I'm sourcing is, well, let me just, I'll, I'll describe the process a, a, a little bit. What we really look to, we, we're, we're in an improvisational healing form. So just like jazz, you have this template, right? You have, these are some of my favorite things, right? This sort of mm -hmm. pop song that's maybe interesting, maybe corny, I don't know. And then, so that's that's the space that you go into. What you can do with my favorite things is all kinds of places you can go, but there's this container of the song, right? So the container that we're creating, that we're co-creating with an individual is um, the, the most important thing I, I would say first is that people do feel supported. They feel safe, right? So there has to be a, 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 a relationship with, um, with someone in my position and someone coming in for some, some exploration or, or, um, or healing, right? Um, and so as a space uh, creator, um, I have a template. Um, and what I'm really interested in within that template, which the template, the container is what, what allows people to feel safe, to feel held. I'm interested in following the individual as much as possible, both sonically, sort of emotionally. I'm, it's a very attuned experience, right? So what do we use? What are the tools for that? We use vibrational instruments. We use breath. We use incense and smell. We use um, um, uh, some kind of light touch if necessary, um, judiciously. Um, and so what we're really interested in creating space where, where that individual can 
feel held and feel honored and feel safe. And within that safety, within that holding, within that honor, be able to explore, let's say, depression or some traumatic events, abuse, or just being human, and period, human particularly in this time. And hopefully, if we hold it in the right, in a way that is what we try to do is hold it in a way that is conducive to creating space between the individual and the issue, whether it's rumination, what sometimes is called depression or anxiety. If some space can happen, then perhaps perspective will emerge in this perspective that is different. The only thing that we're absolute on is sticking to the ethos and the ethos is self-love and self-forgiveness. So I'm really interested in space, in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> and so I'm also interested as a performer and someone who's been trained as a ritualist in beginnings, middles, ends, and what can happen all the in-between spaces. So for somebody listening to this that is newer to this world, they're interested, they're intellectually curious, they're considering engaging in this type of treatment, let's kind of break it down a little bit more specifically to, to what it is. And maybe the easiest way to talk about this is, and I, I'll jump from different time, because I'm going to end up coming back to your origin story and how you got here. But currently, I know that you're very invested in a new venture called Cardea. And I know that Cardea is sort of opening its doors. Uh in the Northeast in Jamaica. And I think it might be beneficial to those listening to hear exactly how they can take a step towards this space and engage in this space and, and get comfortable with trying to uh, investigate ways that they might want to engage in this type of treatment and this type of healing. So what is, that's a long-winded way of asking, what is Cardea? So uh, Cardea is a, a, a new venture. Um, a psychedelic venture, um, where um, where that ethos of self love and self acceptance uh, is primary. Um, for those who are just who are interested in psychedelics, you might see uh, those uh, these drugs, these medicines, and the practices contextualized either in a medical sort of model or a shamanistic traditional model. And um, uh, in Car Cardea, um, we are medically supported, but we're not medicalized. We have the amazing uh, 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 Julie Holland as our medical advisor, and she's a, a big name in the space and, and for good reason. Um, we are um, honoring of the traditions of, uh, of indigenous practices, um, of, uh, of shamanistic practices we are honoring and influenced. Many of us have studied those practices, but what we're talking about is something in the middle, something that isn't in terms of the medical side, sort of turning you into a thing by through your diagnosis. Um, we're more interested in um, your definition of what's happening to you as opposed to a clinical definition. 
And those things, diagnoses can be very helpful, but I think particularly in the psychiatric or psychological space, they have had a history of uh, being in some ways oppressive. Not always, but sometimes. And then on the other hand, um, um, we, we do, you know, we are honoring those, the, the sort of shamanistic experiences, the experiences, the experience, I should say, of, 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 of millennial of, of, uh, of, uh, of wisdom. Um, but it might not make sense uh, to um, an individual living in, in North, you know, let's say the United States, Canada, or Europe, or, you know, or just someone who is, who's of this time. Um, and so what we talk about is this middle space, again, space, right? This middle space that is occupied by modernity. And I, and I mean that in, in the most positive sense of the word. Um, and, we, and of course, we, we are suffering, many of us, from the results of modernity. First of all, we're suffering because we're human. And then we're suffering, I believe, because of the economic system in which we live under, and also um, this highly mechanized uh, world, which is also a gift because here we are talking to each other over over many miles. But that space of modernity, let's say in its best, that space in between, which for me is uh, represented in um, this beautiful culture that has been created um, on this continent and also South America and also coming from Africa and coming from Europe and influenced by Asia, this thing that we call, you know, modernity, this, um, and when I look at sort of, if, if, if I would extend the meaning and maybe this is dangerous territory, but I do this with all respect of indigenous. If I look at, uh, at the indigenous, um, 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 the indigenous elders and ancestors of, of that I look to, I think of Holiday, uh, Billy. I think of um, I think of uh, Whitman. I think of Monk. I think of the Marx Brothers. I think of Jimmy and Janice, and I think of um, all of this incredibly, you know, Baldwin. All this rich culture, and we could just go on and on and on. And so the arts, the humanities, as as central to our healing, and that improv improvisation that I was talking about that 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 we know from the from American classical music, from jazz, this idea that you create a firm container and then there's all this room for exploration until you know you push against the container, you know, from that container. Uh, we're talking about jazz. We, we, we run from, from Louis Armstrong to Arnett, you know, and there's all kinds of ways that the think of the freedom that we have there. And, you know, this way of sitting with people, and, and I got to say that holding is really serious. I've been working um, with uh, John McClain, known professionally as the Juan McClain for, for, the, for the last year and a half or so. We're very serious about holding that container, but there is a playfulness and exploration a serious playfulness and exploration that can happen within a well-held container, and so my collaboration with 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 Julie Holland and 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 John Juan, uh, and then um, Ross Ellenhorn, who has uh, who's been a um, incredible uh, uh, voice for um, 
people who have uh, been sort of uh, over-medicalized. He's a um, therapist and a sociologist and has been working with people who, as he who, um, as his description of it is, uh, people who are, um, experience extreme events of mood and mind. Um, and his, um, his insistence on, um, 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 on their humanity and the sacredness of the individual working with, with John and I, and John has been a electronic in the electronic music space. And also as a producer and a musician for, for decades, um, has been this kind of beautiful, um, um, uh, collaboration. And what, 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 um, Ross has sort of reflected back to John and I is that this idea of improv, right, is really at the roots of, um, of therapy. Good therapy is not necessarily best practices. And I can't speak with the articulation that Ross can on this, but, um, but more of an improvisational art and I think that what we're seeing, to get back to the original question, what we're seeing in the space because of the nature of trying to scale and trying to deliver this to as many people as possible is an increasingly cookie cutter uh, 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 scenario. So we're trying to bridge that gap. Cardea is really honoring that improvisational quality. We have this theory, when you, this, this theory, this practice, actually, when you ask about support, and we call it radical hospitality. And that means that we really want to extend that holding as, to, to almost to the extreme, you know, um, and in service to the sacredness of the individual, which Tillage and King talked about right? That you're coming in as this holy and sacred being, this vessel, and sacred in the sense that it's set apart. So when someone comes to us, it's a, I like to say it's a big fucking deal. It's a big deal. And we know it's a big deal. And we're going to set aside, in the actual definition of the sacred, something set aside. And we set aside this time. So what interests me about psychedelics more than anything, I think, is how much time it takes and how inefficient it is. And we'd like to extend that inefficiency to make it more, to make it more impactful, meaning we want to spend time with people. We want to see you as the individual, as the sacred being. And that's not sort of like a neoliberal individualist, you know, rugged individual, but as an individual, as a sacred it's a sacred vessel on this on this earth at this time, and and we believe that if we can find time to explore people's suffering, people's joys, that um, that that pain and that suffering might lessen, and I think that serves the collective. This is an interesting moment in time for healing through psychedelics, and you're obviously right at the epicenter of it. There are so many conversations now that are intellectually curious about experiencing it for one's own self and at the same time and i know this concerns you how this gets marketed and potentially how people can make money off of this type of thing what where are you as we sit here today 
Where are you optimistic in terms of where this movement is going? And at the same time, what scares the hell out of you in terms of how this could get really screwed up? Okay, great. Great question. Let's start with the optimism as you did. I think as we are released from, you know, John Law knocking at the door, that um, uh, as things sort of come above ground, that um, that a thousand flowers bloom, right? Uh, there, there could be this incredible polyphony of um, of of practice and 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 ways of moving through this. I think that um, as an organizing tool, it could be very very impactful. I'm really interested in what we could do. Let's say if there's an issue that, well, let's say public lands. And we 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 want to and we do want to preserve our public lands and expand them. And we're worried about maybe somebody wanting to frack those lands. Maybe five or ten activists go away and and for a weekend and they do a ceremony together and then they see what can come up as a as a way of bonding. And that could be extended into labor and and gender equality and 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 um, you know racial injustice and prison reform. I would love to see it sort of. The potential to sort of repoliticize um, psychedelics as a bonding um, 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 uh, practice. Um, also, um, I'll get back to that to that sort of blossoming of all kinds of different practices. What we'll see here is just the creativity of the human spirit of the of just the hey, we're so we're so great at making meaning. And I would, I'm just excited about that. I'm excited about people who, um, look, I, I did this stuff. I've been doing this for 20 years because I came to it the way I came to it, right? Was what, through, as a, you know, a, a, a heroin addict. And then I got clean. And so I had nothing to lose. Plus I lived kind of a bohemian lifestyle. I have nothing to lose, right? Uh, but like, you know, more people who are living more conventional lives um, or who have more to lose or who are more targeted by law enforcement than somebody of, you know, the way I present, right? Um, uh, to open up the spaces for those people. So it really excites me. That part really excites me. It excites me that um, I can, you know, that I can, my own personal work can expand and I can, the collaborations can start happening where, you know, therapists are afraid to collaborate with you. Some artists are afraid to collaborate and rightfully so. So I, I, I see a great potential in that. On the other hand, I'll, I'll get to a little esoteric point. Then I'll get some practical stuff. Like when you lose uh, the transgressive, I feel that sometimes you lose the transcendent um, by being illegal and being a sort of, um, 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 uh, underground, there is this energy to it that that um, um, is um, incredibly um, can be incredibly transformative, right? Um, and and the other, you know, just to get back to the positive, this is going to be available to a lot of people now, right? And then to get to the negative is how is that going to be delivered? Right now, for legitimacy, and I've heard it described as Trojan horse, um, but I, I, I don't that the Trojan horse of, of taking psychedelics into the sort of uh, for-profit medical 
uh, industrial complex and the pharmaceutical industrial complex, that somehow there'll be a transformation within it um, just by the in, ingest, in, injection of, of, of these drugs. Um, I don't believe that. Um, I think um, um, I'm a, um, a, a student, a bad student of Marcuse, who talked about um, you know the uh, commodification of everything and how it will be reduced into a sort of tyranny, and um, I believe that the, the sort of the legitimizing of psychedelics through psychiatry, for instance, um, which in many ways is a delegitimized practice, um, sort of masquerading as 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 hard science. Um, I think it's problematic in that um, it's going into a structure, the, the psychiatric uh, institutions and, and, and practices, but also the for-profit medical practice that is actually contributing to harm on the planet and being introduced into an economic system that I believe will has the potential of, um, well, the potential of killing us all. So I'm very concerned with how it's being legitimized and then who gets who gets it in their hands. And the other thing, just to say, there's going to be tens of thousands of practitioners. It's going to be amazing practitioners. It's going to be incredible. But someone as someone who has been a um, an sometimes unwilling client in my drug using days or my, my addiction and a volunteer client, and then also someone who's worked um, within the sphere of public health, um, I'm worried about the introduction into that for-profit space because uh, these are very nuanced medicines. This is very nuanced stuff. And um, uh, my concern is the medicalization and the commodification will be damaging. So I, I don't mean to be cynical, but that sort of seems like it's somewhat inevitable. I mean, when you talk about what the way you speak, I think of obviously the 60s and I think of the legalization of cannabis. And I even think about movies, you know, really stereotypically popcorn movies like Alien where things are introduced and then there's the guy on the ship who wants to figure out the best way to make money off of this stuff. So I, I'm, I'm curious, feel free to comment on what I just said, because I am curious. I know they're very, very different compounds, but the cannabis movement to me is, has been commoditized, right? I mean, that's, that's mm -hmm. not all negative, right? I mean, or do you not like to compare the two because they're just so different? No, no, I think it's a good comparison. I, I want to start out by saying I believe another world is possible. Uh, Great. Because, because this has not always been the economic system. It's not always, has not always been the political system. So it's, it's not a scientific fact that this is the way things operate. I, I like that. Yeah. I, I, so, so more, more power to those to that thinking, but continue. Okay. So the, the other the other thing, what, what, I think there's good comparisons. It's a good way to comp compare. Um, there's a big difference, but I'll get to the comparisons first. That um, yeah, people uh, less people are going to prison for for cannabis, um, and that's a really good thing. Um, it's it's becoming more available. That's a really good thing. Um, and we're seeing different laws in different states and different municipalities addressing the way cannabis is, is sort of made accessible. And some are uh, really considering the, the damage done uh, 
by um, by um, the drug the drug war. So you know, in Oakland and I think in New York State and in Oregon, they're, they're really looking to to uh, to allow folks who um, who have been imprisoned, uh, particularly. Uh, targeted populations, black and brown people and poor people in general, to have sort of the first crack at licensures. And I think all that's good. Um, I think that will, what's going to happen is we're seeing big money come in and and the little guy and girl and in-betweens or whatever are being squeezed out. Um, and, um, you know, I'm going to write an article uh, I've been threatening to just talking with um with uh, cannabis people and psychedelic people about like, you know, we, who have gone sort of legit, like what a fucking drag it is. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm on the phone with all these people, not the people themselves, because I have lovely lawyers and, and, and publicists and so forth, but people I've, I've, I've avoided, no, professions, I should say, that I've avoided all my life. And I am completely blown away by the amount of bureaucracy um, and I keep thinking to myself, it grows in cow shit. Like, what are we doing here with all these laws and regulations? And, and you know, just to get this company together, it's been a real stretch for me because I never had to do it. You know, I've had that um, the privilege of having nothing, you know, and nothing to lose for so long. Um, so I worry about little guy getting squeezed out. I worried about being corporatized and in that losing a lot of soul. Um, and that's going to happen. The, the big difference is... Um, cannabis, they use medicalization as a way in, but you were mainly talking about glaucoma and backaches and asthma, right? When you start to bring in psychiatry as your medicalization, I think it's an incredibly different conversation. And you, you don't have a history of people with back problems being like uh, lobotomized or forced into prison or denied uh, uh, access to their children and so forth. So you're talking about a a you're talking about a structure that has a very problematic past uh, and present, right? Um, the psychiatric industry, and then you're also talking about the history of um, the uses of psychedelics by state agencies, the CIA, um, you know, hell, you know, the Gestapo uh, used um, mescaline in, in Auschwitz, um, the experiments on um, unknowing um, soldiers, uh, bless you, in the States, and, and um, the horrible, uh, uh, brutal ways that, psychi that psychiatry has used psychedelics in the past. I mean, you can go to... Um, what happened on McGill, and I'm forgetting the name of the psychiatrist, and, and a lot of institutions. And so that's the big difference. We're going, we're, we're, we're and, and the other thing is this, with, with, with marijuana, you know, it was mainly aches and pains. And, and then there's this whole range of recreational use, right, which has just been acknowledged as, for most people, not that problematic. There's some people who got a problem smoking too much weed, <laughs> um, but mostly not problematic. But with, with, with what you're talking about is the ways this is being sold and it is being sold is as a miracle that you, uh, two in the mouth, as George Carlin used to say, right? Two in the mouth, right? Um, and, um, and as this panacea that will change everything and it simply won't. 
I believe that these, these medicines are incredible catalysts. They can be used, uh, and I've seen transformation. I get to see it on a daily basis. But I believe that to say that it's just a product that you consume and something happens to you is also dangerous. So there's the idea of social control, which it's being introduced into a structure of social control, psychiatric institutions, um, an institution. Um, and then this idea of miracle cure and this idea that you're broken and you need to be fixed. These are, and then the commodification of the whole thing and it getting into the hands of people who are going to be looking at the bottom line. So my work in public health and, and my, and my being a patient has seen it for me. I, 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 and this is having, of course, with the caveat of, having incredible experience with an amazing public health people and doctors and nurses and, and therapists, but um, in the wrong hands, not only the wrong hands, but in the wrong structure, a for-profit, um, you know, you're going to come in at four and leave at seven and you're going to have a 62% reduction of PTSD on, uh, in five days and then come back in a month. It just doesn't work like that. We're far more interested in creatures and far more Stay with us. More from Dimitri and Charles after the break. Ever wonder why conservation messaging has such a hard time reaching people? So did we, and that's why we started Sustain Music and Nature. We take a celebratory approach, showcasing the beauty of public lands through music. Music reaches everyone. Our mission is to make music a force for nature. When you watch one of our National Park music videos or attend a concert out on the trails, our goal is for you to be inspired to enjoy and support these at-risk areas. Public lands belong to all of us, and music is the perfect way to bring this message to everyone. Consider a one-time donation or join our Patreon to help us create exciting programs and musical collaborations that celebrate and protect public lands for all. You can make music a force for nature. Learn more at sustainmusicandnature.org. For the second half of the conversation, Charles and Dimitri lean in a bit more to some of the other reasons people might be apprehensive about embarking on a personal journey. So, I mean, you're, you're really describing art versus commerce in terms of so many ways. I mean, you're an artist that's now being forced to deal with some commerce, which involves lawyers and bankers and all those people that wear suits and, and scare you. And But those are, I would think, whether they're artists or they're in commerce, those are the those are a lot of the people that live in this world now. So the people that are going to contemplate seeking treatment, coming to see you, going to the Cardea website, I would imagine are some people that are almost at on the one hand, they're very interested in, in expanding their creative selves, examining themselves trying to reduce their suffering, uh, looking for healing. And at the same time, I think a lot of people that might come see you 
are afraid that they're not going to like the person that they see when they allow eight hours of their day to go deeper into their consciousness. So feel free to comment on that. But my question is, what kind of people are coming to see you? Who, who are these people and what are they searching for other than to reduce their suffering? Right. Let, let me address the first point. Yeah, that's really a good point. And I don't know if I have a we're not having a linear conversation, so I won't try, <laughs> but please. Yeah. I, and I guess it'll address the second point. If you, I, there was a, the artist, Rene Ricard, uh, who I knew a little bit, who was a character uh, in lower Manhattan and from the sixties into the nineties. And he was also a, a, a heroin addict and brilliant sort of, Oscar Wilde type of uh, presence, right? And when we told him about Ibogaine, right, um, for for addiction, he said, I want the doors of my perception tightly closed, right? Interesting. And, and, and so I can't, I wasn't, as they say, I wasn't, I'm not mad at it. I, I get it. Um, opening up these spaces inside of us can be incredibly painful. It can be incredibly jarring. It's also uncharted territory. We're going into space that maybe for very good reasons, those doors were tightly closed. And, and so when folks don't want to open it for whatever reason, because it's also, there's an unpredictability to it as well. Um, I know that in the space that we create, that we can, deal with anything in the moment, but you're going to have to, once it's open, examine that. Well, hopefully, I mean, our hope is that you continue to examine it, but that's, but the fear of that is legitimate. So the first thing I would say, especially somebody who doesn't come from the space that John or I come from, right? The sort of psychedelic sort of bohemian world is that the people who are coming are incredibly brave people. Um, and that's not to say you're a coward if you don't do this, but once you take this step, um, it's a, it, it's, it's, it's quite a leap. And so that's the first thing that we want to honor that this bravery to, to explore this bravery to dig and to understand. Um, and so of course, suffering and sadness and post-traumatic stress and all these, all these things and trauma are often the catalysts that get people here. But there's also folks who, of course, we're suffering because we're human. Of course, we're afraid and anxious to some degree. But this exploration of internal exploration. So we get people who just, especially people who might be over 50 or in my case, you know, 60 or older who are, who are looking for a little more, a little more understanding, a little more depth, a little more compassion for themselves and others. So what I get to see is folks from all walks of life. So I've been blessed that we're going to continue this in Cardea of um, working with, I worked with poor people to people with considerable means. And, um, and we're going to have a component in Cardea that will meet the needs of poor people. Um, so in terms of sort of economic and, 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 and all the, um, you know, ethnic and gender and age categorizes, it, it, it runs the gamut. 
Um, but I see people who are seriously committed to exploration, to healing, to change. So you may be coming in because you have, you know, what is described as um, um, treatment resistant depression, or you may be like, look, I just, I'm at this point in my life where I, I, I just want to understand a little bit more. And I, I kind of want to stop doing this thing, but I want to see what's next. You know, these medicines have been used for, for centuries as rites of passage. And we don't really have many rites of passage. We have bar mitzvahs and, and weddings and graduations and christenings, and they're all important. But there's no sort of, there's no sort of continual checking in, right? And a rite of passage is, uh, or, or, or let's just say crossroads energy, right? Exploring the crossroads. And so folks are at crossroads. And that's also a very pregnant, incredible, luminous space. So we get people who are suffering, people who are curious, and people who want to deepen what, what deepen their humanity. Yeah, no, I, I, it's beautiful. And I love the thing you said about the bravery. You know, it's maybe trite, so forgive me, but the lyric that I keep hearing is like between the longing for love and the struggle for the legal tender. You know what I mean? Because you're, you're kind of out there in the world, maybe not you, but a lot of us, we're kind of selling out a little bit to just make it work. And, you know, when you get that pure self-examination, uh, it just, to me, and feel free to comment on this, it opens up a lot of questions of who you want to be. And, and, in, and in some ways, I think it really validates who you are. I think this can really validate who you are as a person and make you, to your point, um, we all can use a lot more self-love. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about what you're doing. I, <clears throat> thank you for that. I, uh, um, I want to first just the sellout thing. I, 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 I contracted a little bit because I saw that. Yeah. Because Man, it's just hard to be human, man. And if you if you, you got to go to work, you got to go to work. And even you know, if you're making the big bucks, you know, man, I would I want to see a little bit more, of course, examination of oneself, and you know, the, the the shit that needs to go needs to go, but also a little bit of a little bit of love towards that part of you. That, yeah. That, that and and so we're all in these, you know, myself included, of course, we're all in these sort of, you know, these. I don't know, paths that maybe are not of our own making, right? Um, and, and so like a little bit of love towards that, right? Um, and a little bit of love towards what is practical, what you got to do to be a human being on the planet, right? Um, but um, yeah, the, that re-examination and creating space around that re-examination. I, I, I see some people in the psychedelic space, both traditionally and medically, are... are sometimes push people a little hard to, you know, for this total transformation. And I don't see change happening like that. I see it sort of gradually, sort of, it, it's, it might come in, in this relevatory moment in the psychedelic space or, you know, on your knees in the mosque or, you know, at a diner ordering coffee, wherever it comes, right? I mean, it's ceremonious for creating a space for that. But then what? You know, then you got to go back to the world. And so gentleness in that area, too. As you explore this, be gentle because you, 
you know, I'm in New York, you got to get on the subway and the schmuck next to you is going to piss you off. And that make you a terrible person. No, it makes you a person. And maybe, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of what you're doing. Um, I know we're almost uh, out of time, but I, I want to take it back a little bit to your art because you are an artist. And because of the theme of this podcast, I'm curious uh, where and if the outdoors factors into this, because I know some of the work is done indoors, but I know obviously in Jamaica, there's got to be that outdoor component. And I also, to the extent it relates to the question, I, I just want to hear about your music. Like what, what, when you're, when you're doing it, when you're actually doing it, the musical mind, I want to, cause I know that we bond over the music and I want to hear a little bit about that. So give me a little nature music, if you could, oh, if that's okay. a fair let, question. All right. Let me just talk about sound in this work. I'm a, I'm a student and friend of Alexander Tanus, who's an incredible sound practitioner. I, I suggest folks check him out, but the collect and, and I was, I played in punk bands that turned into like this sort of bizarre, uh, uh, art collective, called the leisure class and I did that for years so I was in clubs and then after hours clubs and electronic spaces and a, 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 a lover of American art and, and jazz and R&B and hip-hop and country and bluegrass and and and, and uh, house and techno and everything I just love it um so uh in this space, I, uh, John and I, we create a container of vibration um, and vibrational sound. And um, uh, that's the container in which we work and where it's, an, it's improvisational. We have a template willing to follow somebody and, and holding somebody in sound is to me, you know, uh, it's sacred work. And I've, I've, I've been held in sound as a kid going to see my first P-Funk concert or, or hearing um, Ornette Coleman for the first time or being in a Bwiti ceremony in Central Africa. So sound and music are incredibly important. And, you know, um, as someone who didn't get the major contract ever um, uh, or didn't, I get to sing. <laughs> I get to sing for a living in some way, you know, so I get to use my voice and I'm forgetting the question, but I just want to say that the sound is the most part, one of the most important parts of what we're doing at Cardale. Well, you answered one half of the question, the, the music side, which you sort of categorized as sound, which obviously is music. I'm curious if there's an outdoor component, maybe right. not all the time, but sort of where the outdoors. So here's the thing is that I've been, I, I worked for many years underground in New York City. Right. And um, one thing about doing these vibrational instruments and working with vibrational, you know, we're working with vibrational instruments is that you want you want walls to bounce off of it because right? yep. all kinds of interesting stuff happens and outside gets sort of absorbed by uh, by uh, by the beautiful outside. So um, we've we're going to be working in Jamaica with the mushrooms and we're going to be working in New York with the ketamine. So that's a good example. In Jamaica, it's beautiful. It's in Treasure Beach, incredibly beautiful location. Um, but during the ceremony, we will be inside. And then what, what often happens is there's when someone steps out 
of that container, you're outside and you're in it. And, and then you have this relationship with that air on your face and, and the sun or the rain or whatever, or the snow or whatever it is. So, um, um, and, and I should also say that a, a, a great deal of my study and training has been with shamanistic uh, practices a little bit in South America, but uh, at least I, I've, I've done ceremony there. Uh, but uh, a lot in Central Africa, in Gabon, where everything is outside. And so, the, and the music is incredible and intense and sort of, um, uh, it, 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 it sort of uh, <laughs> an amazing experience. And the musicians of Gabon are, are amazing. So I've had that experience, but that's different from a vibrational thing, right? Um, um, so, uh, I think that I'll say, I'll say this: when when I, I I've done ceremony in 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 an urban setting for a long time, and when I do that, folks tend tend to want to stay inside with us in the cocoon. But if we're in Jamaica or Costa Rica or Central Africa uh, or wherever we are, um, people kind of want to like, okay, this part's done. Let me go outside as soon as possible. So the yeah, same, it- yeah. Yeah, and you're reconnecting with with the outdoors. I mean, you're yeah. you're yeah. both within and without. Yeah. So, um, in terms of nature, I mean, what are your? I, I thought about your question um, that you sent me. Uh, I hope uh, are you going to ask that question or? I'm going to ask it now. Okay. What is your? Uh, well, I have two. I either have, and you can pick one or both. A favorite public land moment, sort of that you just sort of were completely present, or and or a go-to song that just uh, you you when you think about nature this is your go-to okay there's in public land so from my political view it's all this this, you know to go back to uh, 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 this land is my land it's like the other side of the sign where it says trespassing i think it's all public okay (laughs) but i get what you're saying we need to set it aside in our current structure so um I'm going to answer, there's three moments and I don't know if they, if they, and I'll make them quick, I promise, but I, I don't know if they, um, if they meet public land, but I, but perhaps, um, one, when I first, when the Walkman first came out, you might remember. I and, remember. Right. And suddenly you could put on headphones and have any music you want on tape on this big, what seems now like a big boxy thing. And I remember walking on the beach in Nantucket with my first waspy girlfriend, Nashley Nantucket. Um, and I'm walking on the beach and I'm listening to Rites of Spring. And I was just blown away that I could have an orchestra and I got lost. And there was no drugs involved or uh, maybe there was. I don't know. There was always drugs involved back in the day. But I was just walking in that splash and just blown away by the contrast and the gift that I had a symphony orchestra playing this master's work as I enjoyed nature. And it was this incredible experience. The second one, um, it was on the Hudson river. It was one of those cruise lines around the, around Manhattan. And it was, um, uh, Sonny Rollins was playing. Um, I was, quite inebriated. So Sonny had broken his leg. So he was in a lazy boy recliner. It was raining. Oh, he was there. 
He yeah, was no, there. No, was Sonny he? Rollins okay. was playing. It was a Sonny Rollins okay. concert. I, didn't, I thought it was on the Walkman. Okay. No, 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 no. He was there. He was playing. And I was leaning over the sides while he's playing the carnival piece, right? You know what I'm talking about? I can't think of the name of the piece. Um, anyways, one of your listeners will know. And I remember just leaning over and the, and the, and seeing the city I love and, and the water and, the, and, and, and just just feeling the rain on my face. It was beautiful. Out, yeah, it was amazing. And then the third one, um, I was in Central Africa. We had taken uh, the people I was working with and playing with, and we had gone deep into the bush to be with uh, the, the, the forest people, the pygmies, who are the holders of aboga, which is the sacrament that sort of freed me up from heroin. Um, but um, I was there, and um, everyone that I had come with had gone to sleep, and I was with three elders, and we had brought cannabis because they love cannabis, and they were rolling it up in the added newspaper. <laughs> so these big splits. Um, and um, they, um, they were playing the magongo. The magongo is a, is a, um, is, it's basically a bow and arrow. And they put it to the, it's one string and they hold it to their mouth and they use their mouth as sort of like the echo. And they, and they play this beautiful rhythmic. And there's a, there's a, when you're initiated, there's a way, there's the word basi. I can't tell you the secret meaning of it, but I can tell you if some if it's a way of saying thank you, like you did good, I agree. It's an affirmation. Um, it's this beautiful word that takes on all kinds of different connotations. And these people uh, clearly didn't speak French or English. Um, um, I'm for, forgetting the name of their language, I'm sorry to say. But I was with these three elders um, Two of them, they were just wearing shorts and one had a suit jacket over his shorts. It was nighttime. They had, one was playing the magongo and then they had gotten leaves like bushes and they're kind of using them as, um, um, as to keep rhythm. And they gave me a couple and we just sat there and sort of danced together and sang a little bit and hummed together and just, we would just, the elder would look at me, the, the main guy with the suit jacket. And he, I remember him because he had these, he had big eyebrows like I do. And there was a, it was sort of punctuated by this big, um, like mole in the middle. And he would look at me with great seriousness and he would say, bossy. And when someone says bossy, if you agree, you say bossy back. And it went on for, I don't know how long, maybe an hour, maybe more where we would just sit there and he would go bussy. And then sometimes we'd be a joking bussy and we'd laugh and we just communicated through the music. And we were in the, we were in the, the forest. We were in Gabon, in, in, which is this incredible forest and the sounds of the forest, the smell of the forest, the village was sleeping. And it was just this incredible magical time that I thought somehow heroin and crack got me to this space with these three elders and we were communicating on this really just beautiful, loving level. And I, I'll never maybe see them again, but we parted as friends. It was quite extraordinary. A little bit of love towards what is practical to be a human on the planet. I'm sure that resonates with a lot of us. 
And it's important to remember that change happens gradually. So if you want to learn more about Dimitri's work, check out the website at www.dimitrimujanis.com. And that's M-U-G-I-A-N-I-S. Songscapes is a production of Sustain Music and Nature. If you like this program, please do subscribe, write a review, and give us a follow on our socials. If you want to make a donation or are just interested in learning more about what else we do, check out our website at sustainmusicandnature.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, see you out on the trail. With my head bowed so low, with my head bowed so low, I pray so hard I need to know. Pray so hard I need to know